You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, Mosaic. Good morning. Well, before I begin, I just want to thank Pastor Morgan and Carrie and John and Galen, the elders of this house, and thank my beautiful wife, Brandilyn, right there. (laughs) I um, am always honored to share God's word, and um, it's something that I hold very, very dear to my heart. So let's pray, and let's get in God's word, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you right now for your Holy Spirit who is here. We yield to you, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive and to understand your word. Lord God, I thank you for your anointing to teach and to preach your word with clarity and with accuracy. Lord, I thank you that you slice this word up in however many unique ways it needs to be so that we all leave out of here different than when we came in. So we covenant with you in advance to give you all the honor, you all the glory, and give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Well, as Pastor Morgan mentioned, we have been in a sermon series on the book of Luke. And Pastor Morgan and several people on our teaching team have been teaching phenomenally out of the book of Luke. And today we pick it up in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now, as I think about this particular passage of scripture, I am reminded of the critically acclaimed comedy film, Coming to America. (laughs) Starring Eddie Murphy in Arsenio Hall, the 1988 version, the original one. So in this film, uh, Eddie Murphy stars as Prince of Akeem from Zamunda, which is a fictitious country um, in Africa. And early in the movie, his parents, they arrange this, arrange marriage for him, but it goes awry. And he's like, look, I want to marry someone who loves me for who I am and not just for my royal status. So he and his great friend who's played by Arsenio Hall, who is also his assistant, they're trying to figure out like, where might we find a wife for a future king? So they get this globe, they spin it around, and it lands on Queens, New York. You know, Queens for a king. And so they're like, all right, we leave it. So they fly over to New York, and they're trying to be stealth. They're trying to be incognito. They don't want anyone to know who they are and the royal status that they hold. So they actually take these jobs at this knockoff McDonald's. It's actually called McDowell's. It's really funny. There's this fake wannabe McDonald's. But there's this particular scene where they're at Madison Square Gardens. And so Eddie Murphy is there with some of his co-workers from McDowell's and it's halftime at the game. So he goes to the restroom. He gets to the restroom. There's this long line to the restroom. So he's just waiting his turn. And all of a sudden as he's waiting, there's a concession worker who walks by, looks at him, stops and says, oh my God, I thought it was you. He he bows down, he starts kissing his hands. He said, I am a citizen of Zamunda. This is the best day of my life. Your highness, I'm so glad you're here. Now, meanwhile, while that's happening, Eddie Murphy's looking like, brother, don't blow my cover. Get up, chill out, man. I'm just trying to be, do my thing, chill out. So Eddie Murphy, the guy keeps going. So he leaves that restroom and he goes to another restroom. 
The brother said, uh-uh, you ain't getting away that easy. He takes off and he starts following Eddie Murphy. And not only does he follow him, he gets someone else to follow with him. And so they get to this restroom again and now they have a camera. He's like, I want to take a picture of you. This is the best day of my life. And Eddie Murphy's like, brother, get up, get up, get up. And then as that's happening, his friends from McDowell, they come and they're looking, they're saying like, what in the world is going on? And the reason why I tell you that is because the people from McDowell, they saw and they knew Eddie Murphy only as a king, and they treated him as such, as if he were an everyday person. But the citizen of Zamunda saw him for who he really was, that he was royalty, that he was the son of a king, that he was Prince Akeem, and treated him as such, so much so that he was willing to stop what he was doing to follow him. And not only stop what he was doing to follow him, but to bring someone else along to follow him too. Now, this is enlightening because as we go into Luke chapter 7, verse 36, there is a question that Luke is trying to get us to grapple with. And that question is, why should we follow Jesus? The question is, why should we follow Jesus in our good time? Why should we follow Jesus in our bad times? Why should we follow Jesus in the midst of political and racial of people? Why should we follow Jesus? And this is a question, beloved, that you got to answer for yourself. You can't answer it because Auntie had an answer to it, or your nana, or your grandmother, or whomever. We've got to settle today. Why should we follow this Jesus? Drop what we're doing just like this concession worker in a follower. And Luke gives us three insights or truths about why we should follow Jesus. And they're this. The first one is because he reverses our position. The second one is he reverses our perspective. And the third one is he reverses our person. We'll look at each of these in turn. We'll begin with the first one that he reverses our position. All right, so you got to understand where we are in the book of Luke. Up until this point, Jesus' ministry is blowing up. Jesus' ministry at this time is the best thing since sliced bread, the best thing since unleavened bread, leavened bread, peanut butter and jelly with the bread, the ends taken off. It's the best thing that's blowing up. This is Jesus' ministry, so much so in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, Luke tells us that the people were pressing to hear Jesus so much that he had to stand on the edge of the lake and he had to ask Peter, can I use your boat to preach the word? Because there's so many people that are pressing upon me to hear the word. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, the Bible says that the multitudes came from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Tyre, from Sidon to hear Jesus and to be healed. And then in Luke 7, the brother Jesus is so bad, they can't even bury nobody around this brother. There was a funeral procession going on with the widow's son. Jesus walked by the casket. Get up, brother. Brother raised from the dead. And so the, the religious people are like, who is this brother Jesus that's doing all these miracles that everybody is coming from all over to hear? And that's the context that we enter into the text in verse number 36. Y'all still with me? Yeah. All right, verse 36 says this. Sorry. And when one of the Pharisees, we know from verses 39, that Pharisee's name is Simon. When Simon invited, everybody say invited, Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, this is an interesting word in the Greek. The word invited is actually the Greek word that means request. 
It's also translated to, to question. So in other words, Jesus has not been invited as much as he's been requested. And there's a difference. Because when you invite someone, you treat them as a guest. When you request someone, you treat them as a suspect. You got your skepticism, your questions, your battery of, of, of interrogation that you have for somebody. Can I pause right here? Jesus knew that they had skepticism and questions, and he showed up anyway. Jesus ain't scared of your questions. Jesus ain't scared of your skepticism. He like, bring it on. But we know Jesus has shown up more as a suspect and not as a guest because in typical Greco-Roman context, there were three things that should have happened for Jesus when he showed up. Any guest should have got these three things. The first one is that Jesus should have been given some water to wipe his feet. Listen, they got on sandals. It's, they walking through all type of mud. People's feet, they were dirty. They were smelly. Some of you won't even let people walk on your carpet without taking their shoes off. It's the same thing. Like, he should have been given some water for his feet or someone should have come and washed his feet. But he didn't get it. The second thing is Jesus should have been greeted with a holy kiss, either on one cheek or both cheeks. The, the, the holy kiss was symbolic of that this person has come in peace. So everybody who were at that dinner and they saw this holy kiss would know that this is a meeting of shalom or irene. This is a peaceful encounter. He didn't get it. The third thing, Jesus should have gotten some oil and incense some type of aroma to, to, to permeate the atmosphere so that wherever he traversed in the home, everybody would know that the guest is here because that aroma would have preceded him. But he didn't get any of that. And the Bible says also in verse 36 now, Jesus has shown up here and now he's reclined at the table. The idea of reclined is different from our Western notions of reclined. It wasn't like he was in a lazy boy chair sitting back with the remote and his feet under the table like that. That's not how they ate in that context. The, 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 the tables were much lower, either in a U-shape or in a square. And if you were right-handed, you would lean on your left hand over like this. You would kick your feet back, and then you would sup with your right hand. So Jesus' feet are behind him because the way he's sitting, he's reclined. So do y'all have the picture of what the context looks like before we go to the next scripture? If you got that, say yes. All right, that's what's going on. Now, verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. This particular Greek word for sinner just suggests that she was committed to a life of sin. She was devoted to it. We don't know what it was, so I ain't going to speculate it. But it says that she was a woman in the city who was, who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, something that is very expensive and costly and precious. And standing behind him at his feet. Remember, his feet are kicked back, so she's standing behind him at his feet. The text says, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, and she began kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. So you got to get the scene here. Jesus is at the table. He's reclined back. Now, this lady, who wasn't even invited? She shows up, and the Bible says she begins weeping. Now, this wasn't just like, <laughs> no, the, the Greek word for weeping is literally translated uncontainable grief. 
She's having uncontainable grief. She's wailing. She's lamenting. She's mourning. She is having like this cathartic experience. And this word for grief is associated with a deep pain. There is some deep pain that she's experiencing. And she begins to weep at Jesus' feet. The next thing the text says, now she wet his feet with her tears. This word wet is super important. This is the same word that James uses in James chapter 5 verse 17 when he says that Elijah prayed for three and a half years and it didn't rain. That word rain is translated wet here. So in other words, she is crying tears of rain. The tears are coming down so profusely that the only way the Greek writers can translate it is like there's a thunderstorm of tears. And she's weeping. She's lamenting. She's mourning. And then the text says she wipes his feet with her hair. Most theologians suggest for her to do this, she had to unravel her hair to begin to wipe his feet. And not only that, she kissed his feet, and then she took that alabaster, and she anointed his feet. You got to understand in this moment, what this woman is doing is breaking all type of social norms. It's breaking all type of religious norms. It's breaking all type of patriarchal norms. And guess what Jesus does when she's doing it? Nothing. He lets her do it because he doesn't reinforce that patriarchy, those religious and those social norms that try to take people away from him. He wants you to come to him. And in that moment, I believe that he was reversing her position. He took her from being an uninvited guest to being the impromptu host. He took her from being not even in the script to being a co-star with Jesus. He took her from the margins and placed her in the center. And the same thing that he did for her is what he's doing to you, that he is reversing your position. And this lady, she finds herself in a place doing something she couldn't do, find herself in a place where she shouldn't have been, but the only reason she was there was because Jesus was with her. And I declare to you, you today that you're going to find yourself in some places you shouldn't be. You're going to find yourself doing some stuff you shouldn't do because the only reason you give you access is because you're there with Jesus. And he'll reverse your position. Don't matter who don't like you. you on assignment from Jehovah. Woo! You are an ambassador. Changed her position. He, re he reversed it. He reversed it. The second thing he does is it rever he reverses our perception. He reverses our perception. Now, you got to know my boy Simon is freaking out right now. Right. He tripping. He a Pharisee. They like, we separate. They are unclean, unclean. This woman is doing this. No, this can't be happening. And I believe just like God has something for this woman, God also has something for Simon. Because the reality is, there are times when our experiences align more with this lady where we're having this cathartic, this grieving and welling. And there are other times where our experiences align more with Simon and a Pharisee. Uh-huh. Got your nose up, down, whatever. You're looking down. It don't take all of that. You hollering like that. Come on now. Unclean, unclean. But God has something for Simon too. Let's go back into the text. Verse 39 says, when the Pharisee Simon 
who had been invited, who had invited him, saw this. Everybody say, saw this. He said to himself, now Simon talking to himself, he ain't saying it out loud. If this man were a prophet, now Simon trying to test Jesus' prophet card. He's like, if this brother, if you really know how to read mail, then you would know, he would know that who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says this. And Jesus responded and said to Simon, he said, boy, don't mess with my profit card. I'm finna read your mail. I'm coming right to your address. He like, don't test the profit in me. He says, Simon, I got something to say to you, bro. And he replied, well, say it then, teacher. Oh, he went from being prophet to now you just gonna say he teacher, nah. <laughs> say it, teacher. And he said, a money lender who had two debtors, the one owed 500 denarii or one day of wage, which is a denarii, and the other owed 50. One owed 500, the other owed 50. When they were unable to repay, the money lender canceled the debts of them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I, I'm assuming, I guess, the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said unto him, you have judged correctly. Now this parable, it reminds me of my very first year, first semester of college at Kentucky State University. Um, you know, at this point, I'll never forget, we're sitting in a financial aid office. It's me right here, and it's my mom to my left, and it's this, you know, big brown desk that separate us from the admissions in the financial uh, aid counselor. And at this time, you know, I'm the youngest of three boys. My mom had already got my oldest brother to Michigan State, had gotten my middle brother to the University of Michigan Ann Arbor, and then there was me. <laughs> you know, I wasn't trying to go to college. I ain't even had the grades to go. And so the financial aid counselor's like, look, this brother ACT scores are horrible. His grade point average is horrible. We got a Pell Grant for him. We letting the brother in, but there's this balance that y'all got to pay before we can let him in. And let me pause and say something right here. This is why I am forever grateful to historically black colleges and universities, because they took a brother like me with a 15 on his ACT and produced a PhD. Hey! He'll change your position. They like, look, y'all gotta come out some bread. You know what I mean? Like, it's a balance here. And I was thinking like, bet, I'm going back to the D anyway. I ain't even want to be here. I don't want to do this anyway. And I'm looking out the corner of my eye and I'm looking at my mama. She just, she ain't saying nothing. So this is like, a Vicky Green ain't saying nothing. This is like, a, hey, this a miracle is happening right here. So I'm like, what's going on? My mom's just pensive. She reaches into her purse and she pulls out her credit card and she hands it to the financial aid officer. And I'm like, oh, snap, because I knew she didn't have it. I knew she didn't have it. She about to go into debt for me. And um, I looked over at her, and with as much resoluteness and conviction as I could, I said, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And I said, you will never, ever have to do this again. Now, I'm 18, y'all. I ain't got no money. 
I'm broke as a joke. I'm broker than the Ten Commandments from when Moses dropped them. I ain't had no bread. You will never have to do this again. I'm like, what'd you just say? But I meant it. I meant it. I really did mean it. So that got me through the first semester. But guess what? Second semester, and they want their bread. They want their money. So when I initially came, I ran track in high school, and there was a coach there. I was supposed to run for the coach. The coach left, and some things got messed up. So they converted me from a sprinter, which I did in high school, to now a long jumper. And I'm like, I ain't no long jumper. Why y'all trying to make me long jump? And then my times in college were slower than they were in high school, and I'm just mad. And so we had a meet. That, that weekend, it was on a Saturday, and then the next Monday, they called me in the office. So I knew what they already wanted. I knew they was going to tell me, your long, jump times are ho your long jump distance are horrible, and your times are horrible. And I was just waiting, because I was going to let them know that I told y'all I ain't no jumper. Stop trying to do this. I was ready to go for some. So I go in there cordially, though. I say, you come for me, I'm coming for you. That's what I was thinking. So <laughs> they bring me in the office, two coaches. They asked me to sit down, and they said, Terrence, I want you to know that you have been such a light to this team. Now, at this point in my faith, I'm laying hands on everybody. I'm praying for the coaches. I'm holding Bible studies every which way, and they said, you have been such a light and such a blessing that today we want to give you a scholarship to run track for us. But here's the good part. The amount of the scholarship was what I needed to cover my balance to stay in school. I was so overwhelmed, I, I had to leave. So I darted out of the, 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 the office and I went across the street to the track. And back in those days, I used to always listen to my faith tapes. I had my Walkman on and I would have all these preaching tapes. I threw that preaching tape out. I said, I got to worship to this. I got my Fred Hammond tape. I put it in there. He said, bread of heaven, sent down from glory. I fell so far on that ground, begin to worship, begin to praise, begin to weep and cry out. Why? Because in that moment, God had done something that my mama couldn't do. In that moment, God had done something that my daddy couldn't do. In that moment, God had done something that I couldn't do. He canceled a debt that was too big for me. But where are the people of God who knows that God has paid your debt? <laughs> Woo! He's a God of reversals. He's a God of the impossible. And I believe if you would have looked at me with a scholarship versus somebody else with a scholarship, y'all would have been like, oh, that boy crazy. It don't take all of that. And this is, I believe, what he was trying to get Simon to see. He's like, Simon, I've told you this parable. So now that you have this lens of understanding debt cancellation, having this lens of understanding love, and now with that lens, remember in verse 39, Simon said, and he saw this. Jesus said, look in verse 44, look the next verse he says. He turns to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He's now trying to reverse his perception. Before Simon only saw this, or Simon, some translations saw it, but he says, now that you have this lens of love, this lens of debt cancellation, do you see this woman? And I believe Simon has saw her based on what she had done, but Jesus was trying to get him to see her based on who she was in him. And so he changes Simon's perception. And that perception came from realizing that there was a debt that was too big. Someone paid it. And there is an there is a uncontainable love expression that people have in response. 
So he changes, he reverses our perception. So not only that, will he reverse our position? Will he reverse our uh, perception? But the third thing I believe is that he will reverse our person. Let's go back into the text. For this reason, I say, the word I say is the Greek word lego, which just means this is it. This is the concluding thought. This is the final thought. Hey, this is game seven. One, one second on the clock. Championship. Boom. It's over. When he about to drop, what he finna say? He says, for I say to you, her sins, which are many. Now, if Jesus say your sins are many. Woo-wee. Toe up from the flow up. Jesus say many. But here's the reality. That's us. That was us. Our sins were many if it weren't for him. And Jesus said, your sins are are many. But now this next phrase is so difficult to translate from Greek into English because it is the perfect passive predicate. And essentially means, he says, your sins have been forgiven. Or in other words, what what I'm going to do right now is retroactive. You can take it backwards. It's retroactive and you can put it forward. He says, your sins are now, you're, you're released from them. You're now discharged from them. I've now sent them away. The ones you had even before you encountered me and the ones you'll have even after you encounter me. He says, your sins have been forgiven. And they like, how can he do that? Because he God. He was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He says, he says, your sins have been forgiven. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And then those who are reclining at the table. But he says to her, first he said it to Simon, then he says to her. He says to her, all throughout this text, she had been identified as a sinner. But now what I believe Jesus was doing was reversing that. He was reversing her personal identity. Now she's known as one who has been forgiven. He reverses her identity. He reverses her person. Paul gives us insight into this in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. He says that if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Verse 21 says, for he who knew no sin, who Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? Jesus became something that he never was so that you can become something you never were. Jesus became sin so that you become righteous. And what did he do? He wanted to reverse your person and your identity. He reverses her person and her identity. Not to be known just as a sinner, but to be known as the one whose sins have been forgiven. Can we go back to that text to finish reading that? Sorry. And he says, and those who were reclining at the table with him began saying to themselves, who is this man that even he forgives sins? And he said to the woman, he said, your faith has saved you. Your faith has sozoed you. Remember, by grace are you saved through faith. He says that your faith has saved you. Now he says, go. Go is the Greek word that literally means to transport. It literally, he's like, 
go. He's transported. He's, he's brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. He's like, he says, now go, go, go in peace. Go in irene. The, the Hebrew equivalent of it is, 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 is shalom. He says, go in peace now that I have reversed your identity. I have reversed your person. And guess what? What I gave you again is retroactive and you can take that with you when you go in peace. So he says, go in peace because I reversed it. And the question remains, why should we follow Jesus? Because he reverses our position. He reverses our perspective. And he reverses our person. He does all of that in this text. I believe to show us that he is a God of reversals. And I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what you're... Do you know who you're messing with? You're messing with the king of kings, the champion of the world, Jehovah Rapha, the one, the deliverer, the healer, the one who can open up a Red Sea because he ain't going to lie to you. If he spoke it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll bring it to pass. He's a God of reversals. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I receive it. Thank you being the God reversal for me because I need it. He's the God of reversals. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Preserve my voice. One more service. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of the turnaround. A God of reversals. And I thank you, Lord, whoever here needs a reversal, Lord, that you would invade their situation. That you will reverse relationships. That you will reverse situations of bondage and addiction. Lord, let your presence be made known. And we thank you for reversing our position, our perception, and our person. Do what only you can do. We yield to you. We lament. We weep. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.